This is Task Force N Radio, and I'm its host, John Crotech, advocate for humankind, education, and commerce. We are on a mission to create human healing on a massive global scale and to tell the stories of people who have dedicated their lives to making our planet a better place to live. Well, I got to tell you, I'm super excited about this interview today for Task Force N Radio. This particular individual is on top of his game. He is doing so many things to help people on so many different levels. You know, his name is Mr. Bill Protzman, and and Bill came to me. We've had a couple of conversations on LinkedIn, but he reached out to me on LinkedIn. We're now on the same network. We're 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 talking about a lot of interesting things. Let me tell you about Bill, though, and and you need to know this stuff before we start this conversation. By his own admission, he proclaims. Music is the reason I'm alive today, and my mission is to raise awareness for how to intelligently access and use the science of rhythm and sound in everyday life. I do that by teaching people how to leverage the music they love for health, success, and a more peaceful life. Well, that proclamation, I got to tell you, is pretty cool because I've never heard of anything like that. I mean, we all love music. But Bill's approach to music and how people live their lives, both inside and out, gives me goosebumps. Can't see him now because we're on the air, but it's pretty darn inspirational. For the past nine years, Bill has shared his knowledge freely with veterans dealing with PTS. We don't even like to call it a disorder now. We just call it a syndrome, I guess. Homeless people who want more, who want to come indoors, get off the streets. Business leaders dealing with distress, depression, and anxiety, and people who think about suicide, often known as suicidal ideation. That's pretty incredible. Bill's methodology and the way he's been doing things for the last nine years is something that the world needs more of. Throughout his career, Bill has performed and worked with opera stars, poets, Dixieland jazz, rock, and pop tribute bands in cabaret, melodrama and musical theater, and as a solo concert pianist and entertainer. The most recent version of his one-man show, Connected, focuses on using music as a self-intervention tool for issues related to military service. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if that's not cutting edge, then I don't know what is. So, I'm really looking forward to this, I'm telling you. In 2011... Bill founded Music Care Incorporated, a for-profit corporation dedicated to education and music as self-care, as a resource for people who want to do a better job caring for themselves physically, mentally, emotionally, and probably just as important spiritually, maybe more important. Music Care Incorporated became a San Diego County Live Well partner in 2018, and Bill can expand on that as we get closer to this conversation. Bill's work has received national recognition. It did in 2014 with an award of excellence from the National Council for Behavioral Health Care. It's pretty cool. His former education so far, he says, because he's always learning and he's going out on a limb all the time to just absorb all that education, has culminated in magna cum laude degrees in piano performance, from the University of California at Irvine in 1999, and creative writing from Principia College, 1982, with an emphasis on bringing music to audiences in non-traditional ways. Bill has recorded two all-original albums, one in collaboration with a master performer on Tibetan bowls and a virtuoso wooden flute player. His recording of Amazing Grace topped the mp3.com charts in July of 2000, and has been included in the Library of Congress Permanent Collection. Pretty cool, Bill. Pretty cool, man. Bill is is certified in QPR, Question, Persuade, Refer, Mental Health First Aid, and Reiki Level 2, or Reiki. I am the author, he is the author and publisher of More Than Human, The Value of Cultivating the Human Spirit in Your Organization, which became an international bestseller in both the business and spirituality categories on its first day that it was launched, as well as publisher of In Our Eyes, In Our Words, 
Portraits from the Edge of Society, a fine art book of portraits of homeless people, which was honored with an independent Publisher of the Year award of this year, 2019. If you go to Bill Pratzman's LinkedIn file, you can see some of the, or LinkedIn profile, I should say, you can see some of the organizations that he's worked with to bring the power of music to light in providing self-care. Wow. <laughs> Bill, you're on top of it, man. Uh, I'm humbled and I'm honored to have you here on Task Force Zen Radio. And I just want to say congratulations and thank you, thank you, thank you for all those people that don't know me, but that you have helped along the way. That's a blessing from the universe. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. That has been... I mean, I don't even need to talk now. <laughs> you know, that introduction, John, just set me off on my weekend. <laughs> well, good. I'm, you know, thank God it's Friday, right? But uh, seriously, I mean, when you say it like that, it's you know, I'm living this stuff, so you don't often take time to to stop and look back and go, "Hey, you know, we really did some stuff here, right?" Well, you're definitely wow. doing some stuff, and it's not just stuff, man. I mean, you you raise the aura of this planet. And it's men and guys like you that set the stage as an inspiration and a motivational for people out there, not only to live their lives again, but if they have ideas to make the world a better place, it's guys like you that they can look to. So tell me – oh, go ahead, man. Can I echo that right back to you? Because I, I honestly believe that we we meet in this world, in this universe, we meet on purpose. And – we wouldn't be talking today unless there was something that resonated uh, about me with you and about you with me. So I feel like you have the opportunity to to help raise the raise the consciousness here, and and I'm so glad to be a contributor to your show. Thank you, man. You know, I, I gotta <laughs> sometimes you know you tear up when you when you when you hear things like that because sometimes you wonder you know who's really listening and are we really making a difference? But when the universe brings guys like you, I know we're making a difference. So yes, sir. Tell us about. The Protzman household, and what developed you as as the human being that you are? How did what happened, man? How did that go down? Well, uh, it's a great place to start. My um, my sort of family ethos is military. Uh, my dad served in the in the army, and I'm sure he was waiting any. He was army reserves, and I'm sure he was waiting any day to get called up to Vietnam. Didn't happen, thank God. He was a chaplain after that. Served the VA hospital. But, you know, my uncle was in the Air Force in Nam, and my aunt retired as a, a brigadier general from Air National Guard. And, you know, I've got cousins who – it's just – it's been a long military history. So you can imagine in that culture, uh, emotions were not real, uh, real welcome. We had a stiff upper lip Midwestern kind of family. And as a highly sensitive person, I found out they're HSPs. It's a thing, man, highly sensitive people. Um, as a kid – my only sort of option for expressing deep feeling was at the piano. And it took me something like nine years of playing the piano. My mom was a teacher to begin to enjoy that. And I began to enjoy it when I found out that not only could I play ragtime, but all of a sudden ragtime was popular because the sting came out. Right. Newman, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I so do. they were playing ragtime on flipping top 40 radio. I'm like, this is my lane, man. I'm in it. And ragtime is what sort of kept me going at the piano because I'll, you know, to be honest with you, classical music, when you're learning it and you're just learning to play the instrument is just, I mean, it's beautiful, but it's hard and it's not real rewarding because you don't play for a lot of people that appreciate that when you're a kid, unless you're some prodigy or something. <laughs> so I had this tool. I learned that I could connect with people, that it brought joy. And that was amazing to me. But I also could go to the piano when I felt uh, fear or anger or sadness that weren't you know, they were highly um, modulated within me, but were not welcome within the family. So I could express that at the piano. And, and that's animated a lot of what I do, because a lot of music that I play goes to that 75% of us that we don't really enjoy feeling, the fear, the anger, anger and the sadness. Well, that's what animates music, man. I mean, there's joy in it, too. You know, happy is a great song. So I, I'm down with that. But 75% of it is not. So I could do that at the piano. And being able to do that, to, to let those emotions flow in a useful way, has sort of minded me. And through lots of therapy years down the road, I've learned the ins and outs of the science behind why that works and, and why uh, I haven't gone crazy. <laughs> you know, 
I do know that. You know, it's kind of it's very cool, man, because the science of how that works. And you know, if you love music, and just about everybody I know loves music. I mean, there's a genre that they love. You don't oh, yeah. really kind of understand it. It invokes certain feelings, certain thoughts, or whatnot. I'm still working on Metallica and things like that, but you know, you know, that's the angst and the anger, I guess. But but it's a way of expression. So the way you the way you frame the story coming along, being able to go to the piano with the emotional stresses or the emotional uh, triggers. And being able to deal with it through the notes of the piano is really cool, man. I mean, and I know we can do that with any instrument, but how does the science work? Explain that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, know I we- love this question. So we're, we're basically cellular organisms, and all of our cells are vibrating. And when you introduce another vibration into a space that's got a human being in it, the human being responds whether that's music or sound or, you know, a, a, a gunshot, we respond. And we're built, to do, we're built to do that. We're supposed to be scared when the gun goes off, you know. That's, that's a warning signal. And we f- respond to that physiologically in a way that will help protect us. It's just that's, that's how we're built. So um, on that very basic understanding, I'm going to jump forward about 30 years' worth of research and, uh, and talk about something that they're using at the VA for help with trauma patients. Uh, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Fancy long name, but EMDR. So basically, here's what EMDR is. It creates a bilateral stimulation between both sides of your brain. It gets your left and right brain talking to itself. Wow. And when that's happening, you can process trauma. And by that, you mean, I mean, if you bring up the trauma while that, that bilateral stem's going on, that trauma will, uh, the, the energy, the negative energy on that trauma will, will release. It will, it will dissipate. It will go away. And the, the stats on EMDR, therapists that use this, it's like a 98% cure rate for post-traumatic stress. Cure, the C word, cure. Wow. Um, my source on that is a guy named Bessel van der Kolk. He wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score. He got started in the 70s with Vietnam-era veterans. This guy knows his stuff, and it's all about trauma and what works. EMDR works. Well, guess what happens at the piano or when you're playing drums or almost anything else, like walking around? The person who discovered EMDR was walking around Central Park, New York. That's creating a bilateral stim. Drumming, hands on the drum, hand drums, sticks, playing the piano, both hands on the piano, you're getting a bilateral stim. Guess what I was doing all my life without knowing it? That's... They now call it EMDR. <laughs> you know? Wow, that's pretty crazy. So let me ask you this then. I mean, and I don't want to, I don't want you to lose your train of thought, but no, it's good. Somebody told me one time, and you know, maybe this marriage is with the science of the music. And I've been told this, I don't know, because I don't have the sensitivities to they say that the earth actually vibrates, that there's a frequency oh, yeah. that it vibrates at. And that, you know, I've been to some of these drum circles and, and I actually picked up a guitar two years ago. Never played an instrument in my life. I have no science uh of music in my background. And here I'm two years later, and you're right, it does soothe, but Somebody says that they're I've read that the vibration of the earth is musical. Oh sure. Is that what is that, Bill? Is it is that true? Well there there's a lot of I mean, we're in a vibratory universe, so everything in our universe is vibrating. From the earth, which has its own vibration. I I can't remember the hertz rate on it. It might be fifty hertz or something. There's some magical number that they've measured or they can figure out that if we were able to hear it, it would sound like this, right? And, uh, and we can't because vibra- vibration is so low, but we're affected by va- vibration in our universe. That's basically kind of how it works. Um, so being in tune with a vibration, being entrained to a vibration, that's a good thing. Fighting that vibration, that's not so great. Have you ever met somebody where your skin just goes crawls and you just get uncomfortable? Oh, yeah. Your, your <laughs> system is, you know. Your I can think of a few people. That. Yeah. That's fighting a vibration right there. That's what it feels like. When you're fighting a vibration, you're like, I mean, it's uncomfortable. When you're in sync, when you're entrained with a vibration, it's real cool. It's cool. Um, You you feel relaxed, comfortable, or empowered. And in that entrainment, that's your cellular self vibrating sympathetically with whatever the other stimulus is. Music, drums, the earth, you know, whatever. So, yeah, I'm down with that. Anything that you can become conscious of that helps you vibrate in a sympathetic way where you're good with it. Oh, that's your stuff, right? Do that. Wow. Don't do the stuff where you're getting annoyed, <laughs> you know? That's yeah. Not so, good. so so let's go back like, you know, 
I don't know how many years. Let's go back centuries, maybe millennia. I don't know. And we're sitting around the cave. And it's been a rough day. It's a Friday in the cave. And we're sitting around as a tribe. And somebody starts banging some sticks on a rock. Is that kind of how it all started? You know, I hope that we're going to find evidence of that. But I think so. Um, They've got evidence that we hollered. Before we had language, we just hollered, you know. Um, And so I know that singing was a part of it, too. I'm a terrible singer, but I can (laughs) holler. (laughs) I think you and I are like kindred spirits, man. I can't sing. It's like a bullfrog, you know. But uh, but I can scream a whole lot. But, you know, so music's been with humankind since the beginning. Yeah. And obviously, I don't think they were in tune enough to know with all the scientific stuff we got now that it was actually this this left and right global thing going on. But music's been around like for since the beginning of humankind. It's like food, man. I, I think we need we need music as much as we need food. We need sound and rhythm as much as we need to eat. Because it's the sound and rhythm that feed us in a way that we can control. I mean, there's lots of stuff out there we can't control. You can't control the guy who cuts you off on the freeway. Uh, you can't. You can't basically even control anything. You can't tell. You know, in five minutes from now, what's going to happen reliably. But music is something that puts us in sync with uh, the wider, the wider. I don't know the wider universe, the vibration of the wider universe. Some people call that source energy. Some call it God. I don't care. But whatever that is, sound and rhythm is that gateway. And we can feed our physical bodies, but we better make sure we're feeding our mental and emotional and spiritual bodies too, because that's all a part of it. So music is the gateway to that. I love that, man. I love the way you put that. So, well, you alluded to it, you know, the left lobe and the right lobe and, and, you know, and, 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 you know, history as we've gone on in society and tribalism and, you know, and the people that you're helping, you know, these business leaders who have actually, they might not admit anxiety, but, but, but we know it exists the homeless people obviously are under – they're in a survival type of mode. Uh, triggered veterans, we understand the fight or flight and those oh, – yeah. and suicidal ideation, which, you know, it, it's a heavy subject. But what is really cool about these groups of people without labeling them is that you, you – you know, music isn't innovative, so to speak, but the way you describe it, is extremely innovative because you're using music not only as an enjoyable thing to listen to, but man, you are bridging the synapses between tra- traumatized people and their lives. You know, t- tell us about, I mean, seriously, tell us about, you know, the, the, the QPR and, and tell us about music and everything your program specifically for traumatized people. Sorry, I'm long-winded. but No, no, no. It, it's all good. Um, so trauma is like a blockage for me. I don't know how it feels for other people, but for me it feels like I can't get beyond this thing. And so I, I hit that block again in my life not long ago. I went to trauma-informed therapy and actually unpacked a lot of old residual stuff in life because you know this isn't a great sell, if you will, but human beings need trauma to grow. We grow best under adversary. Adversary. That's why we've evolved to where we are. Why we're not still lizards. You know, we have this amazing brain instead of the lizard brain. Well, <laughs> lizard brain is still there, and it's still keeping us safe. You know, when the gun goes off, the lizard brain knows it's time to to run, or freeze. But we've evolved a bunch of other stuff around that. So, when you get blocked by that lizard brain, you can't get beyond it. Uh, music is a way to open that up and take you beyond the fight flight. Actually. We call it now the famous five F's. You're going to love this. So fight, flight, freeze. Makes sense? It does. Oh, yeah. Feed, the fourth one, and mate. I'll be clean. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man. Five F's. That's pretty cool. I've never heard that. (laughs) So if, if if you're in a place where whatever's up with you is interfering with any of those, you're you're at risk. Right. So if whatever's in your life is blocking your 5F capability, you're at risk. And to get beyond that, it's necessary to find out what's going on with that trauma. So uh, I'll take my case. We can go to veterans in a second. But in my case, I found that this trauma was holding me back and that if I could um, release the energy from the trauma, I'd learn the lesson from it and I could build on that. And it would no longer hold its sort of negative connotation for me. It wouldn't hold me back any longer. 
So with music and therapy and like a bunch of other stuff, thank God we have pot in California. Um, <laughs> Colorado I was able too. to, yeah, I, yeah, you could, you could like, you could get the symptoms under control or you could do the work. And that's basically what trauma work is all about. It's like putting a lid on the trigger, allowing it to be there and to feel that, but to sort of stay objective and move through it. Music does a great job of that. Here's how it works. Um, we like to think our way through a lot of things. What music does when you're engaged in it, whether you're singing or listening or playing, uh, is it disengages that analytical side of your mind. Now, it's not when you're learning something. When you're learning something, it's painful. That's hard. <laughs> but once you've yeah. mastered the craft, uh, like eating food or singing, once you've mastered the craft, you have a level of ability, um, you can literally shut down the analytical side of your brain and let the intuitive, creative right side of your brain take over and do what it does. And what that side of your brain does is something that not many of us are very familiar with. We don't allow that much. Uh, we, our society is, our industrial world is all focused on the left side, the analytical, the productive, the, all of that mind stuff. Right. And what we want is to engage the other side, the, bring in the creative, bring in the, the soul work, bring in all the stuff that people have been sort of talking about around the edges for the last 60 or 70 years, and marry the two of them and let them go to work. So in your trauma work, once you can turn off that left side through playing the guitar or whatever it is that you're doing, meditation works, yoga works, whatever it is, that opens you up to the potential that lies beyond that trauma. Now, hopefully your modality will let you release the negative energy that's around the trauma so you don't have to continue to relive that stuff because that's no fun. But the trauma is like a tap on the back saying, hey, Bill, there's something here that you haven't quite figured out yet. Let's do some work on that and let this energy go so that we can see what in that trauma is there for you. What, what gold is there at the bottom of the dark well? You know, hold your breath, dive as deep as you can. It's cold, but you can make it. And when you get there, you're going to find the golden coin. Um, that's the challenge that trauma holds for us. And uh, one of the things that's cool in working with veterans is that they are ready, man. That <laughs> nobody likes holding on to trauma. So when you get to work with veterans or homeless people or anybody who's at risk, they know that this is, this is they need to get beyond this. You know, this is holding them down. Your average bear, not so much. But when you've been in that place, if you're a recovering addict, you've been there and you want it. That's a great place to open it up and work. And in that place, um, the left brain is frustrated and tired. It just says, let me out. And you can introduce music to that or singing or drumming or whatever the modality is and unlock that. Even EMDR. So you can do EMDR like this. You can tapping on your shoulders. That's EMDR. They have music that'll play left and right. While that's happening, you you just recall the last here's this is listeners, if you're listening, this is how it works. You don't even have to talk. As you're creating that bilateral stimulation in whatever form you do that, if you recall the trauma that's triggered for you and just sort of let that play through your head, recall the series of events, if there were a series of events or the the shock, if it was a shock. Sometimes it's a car accident. My wife was in a wreck last November. Uh, Bringing that to mind and just allowing that to be present while you do the bilateral stim is all you need to do. Dude, this is all you need to do. <laughs> it uh, seems crazy. It it does seem crazy. You know, before we get to Music Care Incorporated, let me ask you this, you know, and we talk about trauma. It's, it's like you said, we've been trying to go on these fringe, fringe conversations and um, experimentation for 60 or 70 years. There's a first step and for the traumatized person. And so that's probably the most difficult portion of the journey back. And, really? and, and how do we, you know, how do we as a society looking out for each other, obviously, but, but how do we get those people to that first step? I mean, I, I know it's a, it's a huge question, but, but how do we get them there? Did they have to come to that realization or how does that happen? You know, it takes leadership. Um, one of the things that I think helped our entire society in the mid-2000s or so, maybe the late 2000s, mid to late, was when military leaders, like high-ranking military leaders, stood up and said, I have post-traumatic stress, and I got help, and it helped. So it began to release the stigma, right? And if we can release the stigma enough, then opportunities start to open up. Uh, that's what QPR, Question, Persuade, Refer, is all about, and the um, mental health first aid, which isn't suicide-directed, but it's, it's useful. This is teaching lay people 
what to do if someone presents with some sort of suicidal ideation, like, you know, I, I really, I can't do this any longer. It's time for me to check out a life. Uh, you know what to do. You've at least received some training in what to do. And ultimately you're going to direct them to a therapist. But the cool thing about it is this release of the stigma. So once you get that done, that opens the way for somebody who's like, you know, maybe I have post-traumatic stress. Well, I'll just be honest. Everybody does. If you haven't, then you've been living in an, in an ivory tower, man. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and you're probably not as evolved as you could be. You're a monk somewhere. That's what it is. Somewhere. But so we got post-traumatic stress disorder off the table and replaced it with post-traumatic growth, which is actually going on research now, post-traumatic growth. So that sort of validates this, this, this pathway that if you can get over the gate, there's an opportunity. That's awesome, man. You know, and I still want to get the music care incorporated, but you, you oh, brought yeah. up an interesting thing. Stigma and, and the labels that we place on people who have been traumatized. And me personally, you know, we're not going to, this is a show about you, but I had an event that took place when I was 11. It wasn't fun. Um, it was uh, pretty sickening actually. And I knew intuitively that there was a stigma associated with that type of event. And yeah. so, you know, stigma first. And but so I, I didn't get the help I needed. I probably could have saved myself a lot of money from all the booze that I drank over the years. I could have saved a lot of time not breaking hearts, proving my manhood, dragging my knuckles. And it would have helped. The other thing that you mentioned, which is so important, is leadership. And I love what you said. If you haven't, everybody's been through trauma. We all have some form of a stressor related to that trauma. And I'm just trying to leadership and stigma, you know. So what I so what I'm saying is that so there's you have taken the leadership with Music Care Inc. And you've actually started to apply some of your life's lessons into your programs. Am I, am I correct? Is that kind of where you're at? Oh, you're right on because, you know, I'm not a music therapist. What I, everything I learned, I came by honestly by either experiencing it or playing it at the piano and watching the effects. And when, you, when you've played piano in front of people for as long as I have, you start to notice things, right? You start to notice some commonalities going on there. And this one of being able to walk through that, the wall, whatever the barrier is between you and what you have to feel right now, and maybe it's a traumatic barrier or maybe it's just a social barrier where you just don't want to cry in front of people. Whatever that is, um, my particular case, my barrier is that I don't play well. I, I'm terrible at play. <laughs> I've got to relearn how to play. As a 55-year-old guy, I've got to learn how to play again. This is ridiculous. You mean, you mean not the piano. You mean just play. I mean just play. Just like enjoy. Have fun. Yeah. You know, I, we didn't, I didn't grow up in a family that taught us how to play. So I'm, I'm having to relearn all those skills or learn them for the first time. It's like, this is crazy, but that's what's going on. So once you begin to realize the opportunities that exist for you where you're blocked, all of a sudden things click and you, and you just, it all falls into place. And you go, oh, well, of course that's why. And that experience perhaps so frequently for me in connection with music that it, and the science is there to sort of back up what I've observed. So my anecdotal evidence is now backed up by scientific evidence in many ways. And um, I love that process. I mean, it's, it's fun. And being able to work with people who are ready to do that work too, on their own, like just, you know, I, I'm tired of this. Let's get, let's get down the road a piece. Wow. Is that ever a blessing? Man, just, it, it certainly is. And it is a blessing. I was going to say that is a blessing. So some things definitely clicked with you. And when you founded Music Care Inc., tell us about it, man. Tell us how that idea came to you and and tell us about what that journey's been like. I've been doing this thing with music for a long time, uh, playing for people who really need it, uh, including veterans. And I I realized that as much as I love to play and as satisfying as that is, uh, being a performer is only one part of what is necessary to, to spread the message, to get the word out there. There are so many ways that music is helping veterans and specifically uh, Guitars for Vets is out there. There's a, there's a bunch of guitar programs to teach people to play guitar, and that helps with post-traumatic stress, and there's evidence on that. And it's like, okay, that's cool, awesome. Creative writing, the arts, whatever. But music works on all parts of us. So you get the, the vibration in your fingertips if you're playing an instrument or in your, in your body if you're singing. You get that vibrational energy. That's a physical thing. 
Uh, you get the emotional change that comes. We can't help it. I mean, music plays, we respond. We don't have control over that. It just is there. We can resist it after we noticed it, or we can embrace it. But that comes after the response. The response came first. So you've got that emotional response. The mental thing is cool because people often, if you're listening to music with words, you think about it. So the mind's engaged. And then, of course, there's a spiritual dimension that opens up, too. So music works on all parts of us in real time. And that makes it fascinating for me. I mean, I'm lucky I'm a musician and not an artist or something, you know, where you paint stuff and it sits on a wall and nobody ever notices it. You know, I, I get to do this work in real time. So all of those factors are just like coming into play for me on this. And, and I realized I needed to find a way to teach them more widely. So I built a business to do that. And basically the business is unashamedly a, um, what do they call a social benefit corporation in some states. But the idea is that we earn phenomenal money from people who can afford to pay it so that we can give back to people who have no money but need the help. And uh, that model seems to be, you know, more and more embraced by other businesses who are actually corporations like mine. We don't have a, a middle road for it yet, but it's somewhere in between a for-profit and a not-for-profit is where music care lives. And then <laughs> I thought I was on the right track, but something else opened up. Turns out that in America, we're not so great at self-care. We like to find the expert and take the pill and do this. And the opioid crisis is the, mm -hmm. you know, one end game for that. It's much easier to take an opioid than it is to work on your own pain. So I realized Boy, you got, that you got that right. You know, gosh, I mean, yeah, working on your own pain. And the other side of this is we've accumulated so much pain because we've intentionally been tamping that stuff down. We've been tamping fear, tamping anger, tamping. We've just been pushing that stuff back inside. So we've got this residual, like, I mean, if you could figure out how to tap that energy, which we will, it's going to motivate so much of the next whatever years of our lives. One person I know calls this the age of creativity, and I think that's where the creativity is going to come from. We see that with the hip-hop movement, but I'm getting off track. So all of that energy that we've been tamping down, we got to find a way to release that. There aren't enough therapists. Clearly, the opioid crisis is an example of what medication is doing for that. <laughs> uh, oh, yes. We just don't have enough ways of unpacking. We can't exercise enough. There's so many ways that we need to get in and, and let that stuff go and let it enliven our lives that we haven't got right now. And the first thing we need to do is, is let people know that we have to do that. You know, you can't see your therapist 24-7. What are you doing the rest of the time when you're not in the chair? Uh, and that's where the focus needs to be. And the rest of the time, most of us now, when we're not in therapy, I've done this, case in point. If I'm not in front of my therapist, I'm finding ways to, like, mask over the symptoms, you know? Been, and, oh, yeah. Been there, done that. That's not doing yeah. the work, right? You know, that's masking the symptoms. That's not doing the work. And, and I mean, look around us. We've got this incredible income inequality thing that's the result of this kind of thinking. We've got homelessness that's the result of this kind of thinking or this long history of practicing this, this tamp it all down kind of stuff. Well, you can't tamp it down any longer. It's starting to explode. So uh, the bigger opportunity here is for self-care. And there are people who are starting to write books. Um, one of them that I love in the cannabis industry, I can't say the title. Well, I'll say Pain Nation, but I can't say the subtitle because it's got some expletives in it right <laughs> but pain nation is all about um what cannabis is doing to transform the medical industrial complex in the united states that's a wake-up call oh my gosh because, we you know, you know that's another episode for sure <laughs> i'm telling you man. completely you know so i realize that music <laughs> care is big enough I, i'm not actually going to be growing music care into the self-care space but i think a big component of all the work that needs to be done is to enliven people's um curiosity about self-care like, what can I do for myself when I'm not at the doctor's office or at the therapist's office or in the drum circle or whatever? How can I keep that practice, like, going and sustain myself until the next time I'm with the expert? I think that's the real opportunity here for anybody who's in this space of wanting to take care of themselves better. Jump on board because this is the opportunity to help share the world, uh, share with the world what we can do for ourselves. Uh, recovery from trauma, you can have a therapist there and you can do all the stuff and take pills, whatever, but the actual work happens to you. You know, Nobody's going to come in and, and flip the switch and make it go away. You're going to learn how to deal with that, and then the next trauma that hits you or the next trauma you unpack, whichever one it is, you will have learned some skills, and you can apply them to the next thing, and you'll learn more skills and apply them to the next thing. It's just – it's like – you know, it's it's a practice. It's a compounding journey. You know, this is kind of neat because, and you mentioned this, picked up on this, you, doing the work, doing the homework. 
and, it, and, it, and it's not easy when you go inside and you start to introspect and these things percolate to the top and and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to have triggers and and oh, it feels it, terrible it's awful it's, it's horrible <laughs> but you know it, it's very important on the self-care journey to also remind yourself that you're going to make these mistakes and to forgive yourself it's so cliche oh. self-forgiveness and all this but can you think of a person or two that you've worked with specifically an example where you have seen this person start here, you know, small and inside and angry and resentful and become that beautiful blossom. Can you think of a couple of people that you've worked with? I can. Um, without, I have, you know, without, you know. No, I don't have to use names, but I had the opportunity to um, to volunteer for guitar service. I don't play the guitar, but I, I helped out. So I'm sitting at Veterans Village, San Diego, which is um, an amazing a residential treatment and recovery for veterans. Many of them who are there are in recovery and have been homeless. Um, we talk about triple threat. A lot of them have post-traumatic stress too. And some of them have combat stress that they're unpacking. So these are the most broken men and women in the military in San Diego who found their way to Veterans mm-hmm. Village. I'm sitting there one day and walks this guy. Um, we sign him up. We give him a guitar. I kid you not, this guy sits down out there like around the fountain in the courtyard and just starts playing and singing, playing and singing, playing and singing. He was playing and singing. I was there for a couple hours. He was still playing and singing when I left. Wow. I, I've gotten to know him. He actually invited me to be in a band that he started with a couple of other folks at Veterans Village, and the band's been on and off again for a long, long time. Um, I lost track of him. He, he graduated. He went out, you know, uh, went out into the world again. Found out he'd gone back to the street. He was homeless, mm. uh, playing for money, you know, drinking, just, you know, he'd, he'd relapsed. And, um, you know, it, it's sad when that happens because you don't know anything at all. And I, I wound up like going on and doing other things. Uh, maybe four years went by. I happened to be at Veterans Village one day for just a completely random purpose. And who should be walking toward me? But this guy, the same guy. And I looked and I like double take and, and it was him. And I'm like, how did he look, man? Did he recognize you? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And he, he looked relieved. Back in the program, doing the work. Um, He got the band back together. We've actually performed a couple of times and I've had a chance to sort of ask him about it. And he's like, yeah, you know, it's too hard to be out there. It's too hard. I've got to do this. And it, you know what? It takes what it takes. But you can tell when somebody is looking you in the eye what's going on in there. And oh, yeah. Man. It's like, oh, my gosh. You know, this guy has finally found his lane. And, and his lane has always been with music. I think maybe music is what sustained him when he was on the street. I mean, literally, it's the only way he could make money. But, I mean, at least he was playing and singing. And he, yeah, the guy must know a thousand th- songs, like from memory. You just sit down and go. And that's, so I, I feel like he's being sustained by this practice that's like me. He's had this lifelong music practice of just sort of keeping him alive, keeping him alive. And even if you sink that low, it's keeping you alive, keeping you alive. So that's that's reality. That's real life. I mean, you want to see, you know, the big orchestra and the big moment and the, the you know, the champion comes out and all the lights go on. And well, that happens, too. But in real life, it's like this. You learn, you learn, you learn, you fall back, you learn, you fall back, but you don't fall back as far. And you learn a little bit more and you keep repeating the process, right? So that's, that's, um, that one's really close to my heart because I get to be in the band and work with this guy and, and actually make music together. And that in itself is, and that's a whole different story about what, knowing people through music. That's an incredible thing too. The other one's very short. I'll just mention it quickly. There's a, a that's a great guy. story, by the way. That's a great story. Oh, it's it, called <laughs> hope. Hope. It is hope, yeah. yeah. Oh, and by the way, we have post-traumatic hope now, too, because the grant money for post-traumatic growth has run out, so now we're calling it post-traumatic hope, and we get grants for that. I love well, it. We don't, but, you know, the veterans community does. That's good work, man. Yeah, it is. So um, my other buddy, um, C-level guy, I met him through the coalition, um, runs a large nonprofit here in San Diego, and I get to help the San Diego Symphony reach veterans with free tickets. So uh, I've done that for years. It's just it's how it is. And uh, this guy decided he wanted to go. So um, a, a really cool thing opened up, and I was able to get him like a box seat. And he and his husband were there, a gay couple. And, and I knew they had a great time at the symphony. Well, 
I never really get too much feedback on that unless I ask for it. I got a little email. And the guy said, Bill, you won't believe this, um, but he takes blood pressure medications. He said, I got back from the symphony and I measured my, my uh, blood pressure. I said, I've never been so relaxed and happy. Wow. And it showed right there in my reading. I'm like, oh, yes, okay, we got a believer. So, uh, you know, I, you don't ask for that kind of stuff, but there it is. And classical music, you know, why not? I mean, there's science behind that. Don't have to go into the science, but it really worked on him. And uh, oh my, he, he's an amazing leader, type A, uh, Army veteran, hmm. does a great job. So he winds high, and uh, for the symphony to bring him to that level, I'm just like, yes, this is so cool. Do this more. That's a great story. You know, another another message of hope, post-traumatic hope. I mean, you know, I've never heard that. I'm 60, right? <laughs> yeah. I've, ne- I've never heard that before. I'm learning so much right here. So, you know, where do you see yourself in the next five years? And, good question for you, is um, have you ever thought about a legacy? And if, and if you, if you, if you want one, what would you, what would that be, Bill? Well, you know, a while ago, I learned to uh, to give up on predicting what would happen. Okay, I get um, it. Yeah, I, the go with the flow thing is actually a spiritual practice for me, and I'm not as good as it I want to be, but I've learned to stop predicting things. Like, I want my company to be X big by you know whatever 2025. Um, you know that might happen, but I think I waste a lot of or have wasted a lot of effort trying to make plans that predict the future in the past. And I don't have that kind of effort to waste anymore. I think I said earlier, I'm 55. It's not true. I'm 58. I've been playing for 55 years, but I'm 58. And when you get to a certain point in life and you realize that you're not going to live forever, um, you start to think this way and say, so what have I done that's important enough to, to remain around, to sustain? And um, I think rather than looking to the future and saying, this is what I hope it will be, I kind of look to myself and say, what have I done that I can strengthen or what, what is really resonating with people and how can I enliven that? And oftentimes when I think that way, um, I'll get the tap on the shoulder and somebody will say, well, Bill, we need this. I go, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll move in that direction. I'll see if I can do that. I think that the legacy question though is a really interesting one, John. And I'm, I'm thinking about that because when my dad passed away, uh, December of 2018, I started to think about what he'd, or was it 17, December, 2017, I started to think about what he'd left me and um, I've got a locker full of furniture somewhere, but not that stuff. I mean, he left you more than that. I know he did. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what, what did dad really teach me? And one of the things that in our family that is so amazing was the, the ideas of loyalty and respect are very strong in the men in my family. Uh, they're probably also strong in the women, but the women, they, they exude a different kind of expression of that. But in our family, loyalty is a big thing and respect and, and actually being, um, being a gentleman. And so if there's anything that I hope I can leave behind, it's those ideas, but perhaps in a less structured way, you know, less compressed. I think uh, respect is important, but being able to respect somebody who happens to be sad or angry or scared is just as important as respecting the person who's happy all the time. And perhaps what I'll do is open that up a little bit more so that we all understand what it's like both to feel those things authentically at whatever level you feel them, but also to offer that respect to someone else who's feeling it too. And maybe that translates more into empathy. I'm not really sure, but I think there's a certain kind of honor that's that we need to give people who, for example, take their own lives because they have a strong belief. And that's the only way that they can um, bring that belief to light. I'm thinking of the monk who set himself on fire to protest the um, treatment of Tibetan uh, monks in, I think it was Vietnam era. But you know, I remember that, that picture. Thing. Yeah, that's pretty oh, horrific. Yeah. yeah. If you've seen it, <laughs> I mean, if you want to go look for it, please do. But that's a horrific picture, but it's also a very noble one. And perhaps this, this idea of busting the stigma could be replaced by offering more respect. You know, when, when I forget who the general was that stood up and said, I don't know if it's Schwarzenegger or somebody like that is that level and said, you know, I've had post-traumatic stress and I got help for it. Wow. You got to respect somebody like that because they're coming to you vulnerable and saying, yes, I had this vulnerability and yes, I went to, I went through it and I, I need you all to know, you know, that, well, that's the kind of respect I think we can get to, you know, um, 
I like that. You I'm know, not sure how that's going to go, but I like that. You know, so let's just say there. You know, one of our listeners is out there, male, female, doesn't matter, and they're in a really, really, really bad place, and they're listening to us. Is there a message that you'd like to give to them? Is there some advice or based on all your years of experience around the type of work that you do with music and with people that have been traumatized, what message could you give them, Bill? Well, if music is your thing, um, and I've been in that place, uh, what I did was just to put on the music that really spoke to me at that moment. And I wanted to end it all. I really did. But I went back to my saddest music, and I think as I was going to it, I said, you know, I can play this music for myself one more time before I check out. And I put it on repeat, and I just sat there in the chair. I think that's a, a really good form of self-care, because when your left brain doesn't know what to do, and it's telling you, look, you've done all you can, Bill, it's time to leave, um, you're not done yet. Because you haven't heard from your emotional, creative, intuitive, uh, spiritually connected self. And being able to let that self speak to you um, is a really good idea at that moment. Everybody has different music. And the music that is sadness for me might be totally different than the music that's happy for you. You mentioned Metallica, and there's a study <laughs> about how people that listen to Metallica are actually happy. The real fans are like, that makes them joyous. So whatever the music is that speaks to you at that moment, just like put on some headphones, put on repeat, and be with that music. And just see what happens. You know, if, if, if I wasn't on a timeline to take my own life, I, I felt like the, the moment had come, but I also felt like I could do it tomorrow. You know, like I hadn't quite worked out the how yet. So while I waited around, uh, the music that came to me actually, I, I believe, released a lot of that trauma. But it did something else that was really important. It's not as much as hope, John, but it gave me a reason to keep on going. In some crazy way, like on a real sailor or on a real heart level, I felt like there was something more to do. Didn't know exactly what it was in 2007, but I felt like there was more. And I wasn't quite done. I, w I went with that. And, you know, here I am today. Yeah, you know, and we're glad you're here because, you know, I've been in that place too. Lots of people have and and and. And I think that, you know, the the honesty and, and, and being vulnerable like that and, and, and putting that music on, what a great advice. Do you have a do you have a personal mantra or do you have a quote, a Bill Protzman quote, your own quote? And I know you got one, man. You probably got more than one, but do you have a personal quote that you live by? Something that just stokes you to uh to be the Bill Protzman that the world needs. Do you have a quote? Well, of my own, no. Um, yeah, you do. I, I know you do, but nah, I'm not that clever. But when you were <laughs> saying that, there's a song that I just I I totally detest this stuff, but <laughs> or at least this song. And you said that. And I'm thinking to myself, let it go. So anybody who knows the Disney um, animated, what is that animated flick um, with the girls in the ice castle and all that? Let it go. Let it go. It's a big pop song. I, you know, I, well, I you know I probably know it in my head somewhere. No, but... no, no don't, don't bother bringing it up. No. If you're listening, <laughs> you'll probably know because you know it's the kind of earworm that. But that just popped into my head. The other one that I really love is, um, I think it was Gandhi who said, uh, "Be the change that you want to see in the world." But I haven't boiled that down. I really haven't yet. Maybe I should have this. Um, the one thing that I got really close on is on one of the web pages that I uh, curate called Practical Heart Skills, and on there it's just two words: sustain change. So pretty powerful. Those two words alone are, you know, it probably means a few different things to, to people, but, but it's pretty simple, you know, yeah. and, and be the change you want to be and sustain change. And one thing, Bill, and you know this, man, one thing that we can count on is that change is going to come. Oh, yeah. Whether yeah. we like it or not, you know, we could have the, and I, you know what, man, I'm glad you said not to be a fortune teller five years out because I don't care. What you plan five years from now is not going to happen unless, yeah. you know, anyhow, you know, things change all the time. But, you know, Bill, how can people find out or help you on your mission or find out more about you? How can they reach you and where do they need oh, to I've, go for more information? 
Sure, I'm pretty easy to find. Um, I mentioned it, practicalheartskills.com. Um, if you can spell my name, billprotzman.com's out there, musiccare.net's out there. I can put them in the show notes for you, but it, it's, it's all pretty straightforward stuff. I like to send people to Practical Heart Skills because there's a lot of good articles and information and resources there. Um, there's no paywall on that site. Uh, for veterans, Military Guard Reserve, there's no paywall anyway. If, you, if you're a veteran, Military Guard Reserve, you want to encounter anything that I do or get help from me, there's no paywall. Just call me, text me, you know, email me, take the course, whatever it is. Um, that's our give back, and I feel so strongly about that. Strongly enough, actually, I'm, I'm thinking of adding first responders because they encounter the same kind of issues that t- the modern military does in the world. So um, practicalheartskills.com, uh, take a peek, and then you can find out. That's your entry of Get You Other Places, too. Well, there you have it from Bill Protzman. He is on the cutting edge. He is what I call, he is gathering the fringe of the trauma world and the musical world. And he is creating a recipe for success for people. And that, man, I'm so glad that you reached out and and that we've been able to develop this uh, friendship the last several weeks. And uh, look forward to working with you. I know I'm going to be on the West Coast sometime in in, uh, November. So cool. I'm going to look you up. and uh, But Bill Protzman, uh, doing great things for people um, with music and trauma. Very privileged and humbled to have you here. And I, I can just tell you uh, from a new friend of yours, you know, I'm glad you're here. I know that I'm going to learn from you. And, uh, you know, when you, when you said doing the work, you know, you're legitimate, you're authentic, you're a human being that needs to be here and is making a huge difference in the world. And I'm just blessed to know you. Oh, John, thank you. And shout out to Task Force Zen for being a resource for this in the world. There aren't many, man. Thank you. We're, we're going to build it together, man. We're gonna. I'll be the East Coast guy. You be the West Coast guy. But uh, thank gotcha. you for sharing. Thank you for being candid. Thank you for being honest and real. I love you, man. You're welcome. Love you, John. Be well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Task Force Zen Radio. Through education, we will raise global awareness, create more balance, perpetuate human healing, and diminish suffering in our world because humankind matters. Matters.